I really don't like breaking it up because, you know, I'm going to be preaching about the one body in Christ and you guys are exercising your one bodiness and caring for one another. And <laughs> but we'll have more opportunities to do that as we proceed with the service. I just want to ask you guys a question before I, I start is how many hours do you spend on caring for your body every day? Every week? How many hours do you sleep? That's caring for your body, isn't it? To sleep, to rest your body? How many hours do you spend adorning your body? What kind of clothes am I going to get? What kind of jewelry will I put, put on? Makeup? How many hours do you spend washing? Washing your face, brushing your teeth, taking showers to keep it clean? How many hours do you spend exercising? Maybe we don't exercise, <laughs> but to keep your body healthy. We spend so much time on our bodies, and Apostle Paul, in this passage that we will read, tells us that we are Christ's body. If we care for the church to build up the church, the people of God, as we care for our body, if we care for the church to purify the church as we care to wash our body, if we care for the church as we care for our bodies to rest, to encourage, what would that look like? So I want you guys to dream with me this morning. Dream with Apostle Paul as we read this passage together. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. You can turn in your Bibles. I'll give you, guys, give you guys a few moments to turn there. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear God, we ask you now to, to administer this truth to us so we may not just know it in our heads, but that we may believe it and live it at King of Grace Church. Won't you anoint this preaching? Because we need your spirit to work in us. We long to hear your voice. We long to know your will and to obey. So be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me give you guys a little bit of uh, background to start because there's a reason why Apostle Paul is writing this to the Corinthians. And this is to the church in Corinth, the city called Corinth. That's what letters called the Corinthians. And what has been happening is that there's been divisions in the church. The Jews were saying to the Gentiles, I am the cho- we are the chosen people, the chosen people of God. You are a Greek. You're a Gentile. How can I worship with you? The, the free people were saying to the slaves, I'm a free Roman citizen. Why should I worship with you? You're a slave. The wealthier people were saying, you know, I am wealthier than you. I contribute more to this body. You're poor. Why should we be be treated the same way in the church? People were fighting over this. During communion, the people that, richer people would eat more food and there would be none left for the poor people that that were in the church. This was what's happening in, in the church at the time in Corinth and Apostle Paul's writing to these people. He's saying, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, verse 13, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We're baptized into one body. We drank one spirit. We, our reality, the fact, because we have been integrated to one body because of Christ, because we have put our faith in Christ, it's almost as if his blood flows in us. We're, we're kin by blood. We're by the blood of Christ. We have been brought into one body. We drank of the one spirit, this reality of having the Holy Spirit in us, of living a new life, being a new, becoming a new creation in God is so much greater, far surpasses any way in which we usually divide amongst, amongst ourselves. In society, how do they, we, people still do this, and people still want to congregate with people that look like them. They want to congregate and talk, hang out with people that talk like them, that dress like them, but not so in the church. It's what Paul's saying. Doesn't matter how you were dressed, doesn't matter what you look like, what's the color of your skin. It's a tragedy last month of, of I don't know if you guys have read this in the news, of a teenager named Trayvon Martin. If you guys have read about it, he was a, he was a black teenager who was shot by a volunteer crime watcher. And when they investigated the case, they uh, realized that the teenager was carrying nothing but a bag of Skittles and iced tea. And the crime watcher said that he, was, he shot, the, shot the kid in self-defense. 
So they see this as an instance of racial profiling. Oh, he's, there's a black guy, so he must be a threat to me, and I'm going to shoot him. That's ridiculous. In the body of Christ, there should be no such division. In the body of Christ, there is no black or white or red or yellow. In the body of Christ, there's no American, Korean, Irish, Italian, Puerto Rican, or Dominican. In the body of Christ, we are one because the fact that we are united in Christ is far surpasses any other way in which we divide and in any way in which we classify ourselves. Our body of Christ is a greater reality. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 3.35? He is teaching his disciples in a crowd and his mom and his brother are outside. And then the people tell him, okay, your, your, your mom and your brother are outside. What does Jesus say? Those who do the will of God is my mother and is my brother. Jesus is not abrogating the family here. Obviously, he still affirms the family. He honored his mother in his life, in his parents. But he's pointing to a greater reality. What does Jesus also say later? In heaven, in the resurrection, there there will be no marriage and no one will be given in marriage. There's no biological family in heaven. There's no wife in heaven. Even though my wife is so precious to me, that that relationship will be superseded. It will be surpassed by our greater reality and the fact that we're united in Christ. Even more than our family, even more than this is so much greater. Our blood in Christ flows deeper at a deeper level than any, any other union, any other way in which we classify ourselves. If we really got this, if we really got this in our body, this will transform everything that we do and the way we interact with each other. So let's think of some of the ways this applies to the way we we see it. And I want to emphasize the fact that this one body reality is, is in fact a reality. It's not an ideal. This is what already is because of what Christ has done. We are one body whether you like it or not. We are one body whether you think that we have it or not. We are one body. It's not something we have to strive for. It's something that already is, and we just need to live in that light of that reality. In verse 14, for the body does not consist of one, one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. There was, a Roman, uh, there was a ruler in the Roman Republic in 5th century B.C. named Menenius Agrippa. He told this funny parable because uh, the peasants, the commoners in his republic were revolting against the nobles, and he wanted to stop this rebellion. So he, he made up this story and told them, back in the ancient days, he said, I mean, he's ancient to us now, but uh, the members of the body, the parts of the body, used to not have the same mind. They used to not function together. And one day, the parts of the body just, just got sick and tired of doing the bidding of the belly. Why do we always feeding the, feeding the belly? So they decided, they conspired against the belly. The hand said, I will never take the food to the mouth. And the mouth said, if it comes to me, I won't take it. I'll keep it closed. And the teeth said, if it comes in somehow, I will not grind it so that it will never get to the stomach. They did this for a couple of weeks until they were reduced to utter weakness. And they realized even the stomach doesn't feed itself as much as it nourishes the rest of the body. If you're a part of the body, you have a role to play. 
If you're in the body, you have a function to play. Every limb has a role in the body of Christ, and we are an interdependent body and not a collection of independent limbs that do their own thing. So each of us have to work and have, we'll do our different parts because we are an interdependent body. And that means we all have a gift. We all have a way in which God has prepared us to serve in the church and to build up the body. That means we need to, frankly, affirm our gifts. You know, son doesn't say, Martin Luther once used this illustration, son doesn't say, I am black or I am dark. Son is light, right? An apple tree doesn't say, I don't bear apple trees. Yes, you do bear apple trees. If you have a gift from God, yes, you do have that gift from God. Yes, I do have that gift from God. And I want to use that for God. That's, to say, to deny that is false humility. To, you affirm that, but you don't do it in a way that is prideful because God conferred it to you. He gave it to you freely. It's not that it doesn't make you better than anybody else. And if you have a gift that someone else doesn't have, it's not an occasion to be proud because that means that person has some other gift that you don't have. Because we are an interdependent body, not a collection of independent limbs. Right? So then we were just talking about, during announcements, about some of the ways you can serve at the church. If you're in the body, you have a role to play. It doesn't matter if you're youth, if you're, if you're children, if you're in the millennial group, if you're elderly, you all have a role to play. What is the role that God's calling you to play in this church? All the needs that were mentioned, VBS, Holden College, Alpha, Breakfast, Palm Sunday. What, how are you willing to serve this church? Are you, do you feel that you're part, part of the body of this church? Do you own this church? Because you should, because you belong to this body of Christ. And Apostle Paul's not just talking about the universal church. Yes, we do belong to a universal church, body of Christ. But Apostle Paul's writing to a local church. He's writing to the Corinthian church. That means all of us here, right here, King of Grace Church is one body. That means we have common purpose. That means we are, must be united in the same way as Apostle Paul is enjoining us, commanding us to do. So because of this, this one body-ness is a reality, it's not an ideal, and because we are an interdependent body by design, we never grow out of our interdependence. Sign of maturity, contrary to popular opinion, is not independence. It's interdependence. Let me explain what that means uh, here. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Sometimes in families, people think that the job of the parents is to rear the children until they're independent. And then they don't have, and then there's no relationship there. And then then the parents get older, they go into a nursing home. And I would like to challenge that paradigm because I think that's an American paradigm and not a biblical paradigm. The biblical model is parents rear their children until they're older and then they are and until they can take care of themselves. And then as parents get older and they're unable to take care of themselves, the children take care of the parents. There's a beautiful interdependence there. The children are cared for by the parents when they can't care for themselves and the elderly the parents are cared for by their parents when they're unable to take care of themselves. This, there's beautiful interdependence there, and that's exactly the way it is for the church as well. The eye that Apostle Paul's referring to and the head re- represent the leaders, people that are in prominent positions in the church that you see. Because the eye obviously sees and the hand does what the eye sees, right? And the head sits on everything else, the rest of the body, and the feet support the rest of the body. 
we're not Jedis, right? You can't think something and look at something and make it happen. You need the hand to do something. If you see something with the eyes, that needs to be done. If you have a place to go to, if, you, if your head wants to get somewhere, the feet need to take them there. We need each other. If there's leaders in the church, there needs to be followers. If there's teachers in the church, there needs to be students. You can't have one without the other. You have to, we are an interdependent body of Christ. That's why in verse 18 it says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, just as he wanted them to be. You're not a mistake here. You're not a part that doesn't fit. We're part of this body. We are an interdependent body. He says the weaker parts are indispensable. Some of you guys know of, have, have seen the embarrassing detail of, of my surgery that was posted on Facebook a couple months ago. I had internal hemorrhoids, um, which is the infl- inflamed, swollen veins, inside the butt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, after the surgery, I could, I, did not ha- I could not have a bowel movement for a few days. <laughs> could not go to the bathroom. And I, I can tell you guys, it was, it was really painful. It was really painful. And I had never been so thankful that I can go to the bathroom. After going to the bathroom, I praise God. Thank you, Lord, for letting me go to the bathroom. <laughs> the weaker part, the weaker part of the body is indispensable. Do you feel like you're a weaker part in the body? You don't feel like you belong. You are indispensable in this body. Do you believe that? What about the next? He says, those parts that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. We keep some parts of our bodies to ourselves because they need to be kept to ourselves. They're called private for a reason. And the reason why they're covered and protected is because it's shameful to expose them in public, right? There's there's parts like that in the church as well. Some people might be not quite, have not progressed as far in maybe on on the scale of sanctification. Maybe some people are irritable. Maybe some people are mean-spirited in the church. Maybe they are divisive. Maybe they gossip and you don't like them. But Apostle Paul says, the unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty. If they're unpresentable, if they seem weaker, if they seem less honorable, they need more care, not less. They need more honor and attention, not less. They have a role in the church to play, even if for nothing else, to help us mature in patience and godlikeness and love, selfless love. We, everybody has a role to play in this church, and are we honoring the weaker parts of our body? Are we caring for the people that are hurting? Because those people that are less like Christ are the ones that need more attention and more help and more prayer and more love. Do we live in light of that reality, or do we just flock to the people that we like, people that we think are more like Christ? people that are in leadership positions? Are we caring for the weaker parts of our body? And because we are an interdependent body, not a collection of independent limbs, we suffer together and we rejoice together. It says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you accidentally bite your tongue, you don't revolt against the teeth and you slap, start slapping around your teeth with your tongue, right? I mean, it's your body. You hurt yourself. You don't do that. 
If somebody in your body is suffering, then you're suffering with that person. If somebody in the body hurts you, you forgive naturally because that person is in your body. You don't, the body parts don't revolt against themselves and hurt each other. You forgive because we're part of one body. Have you been hurt by someone in the church? Have you found reconciliation? Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you forgiven? If someone is hurting in the church, we should know because they're part of our body. If you cut your, let's say you scraped your knee, do you just ignore it and let it fester? Or do you put ointment on it, bandage it to make it better? If someone is suffering, no one that suffers in the church should go unnoticed. No one that suffers in the church should suffer alone. We suffer together because we're in this together. We are one body. We're an interdependent body of Christ. And because of that, we also rejoice together. David was making a joke earlier about Jeff preaching and me preaching and all like cheering for one another. Obviously, I'm so happy that you guys cheer loudly for Christ because that's what it is. But there's no, I, I don't feel that competition at all. You know why? Because we're part of one body. And Jeff is my brother who is gifted in teaching. And I honor God and I praise God for using him to preach to this body and to build up this body. I rejoice. And when he's honored, I feel honored because he's my brother. Because he's part of the same body that I am a part of. And when people praise him, I rejoice. We rejoice together and we suffer together. And as a proverb, someone said, it says, if you suffer together, the suffering is divided into half. If you rejoice together, the joy is multiplied into two. We're an interdependent body, not an independent collection of limbs. So we suffer together and we rejoice together. And what is the purpose of the gifts then? So we have all talked about what, what, how can we serve? What ways are we gifted in the church Apostle Paul tells us what the purpose of these gifts are in verse 27 and following. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So he clearly ranks some of the gifts, right? So what makes one gift better than the other? Because there's obviously some hierarchy here. And it's not a hierarchy of position, this person is in a position that's higher, so therefore that gift is better. That's not about position. It's not about supernatural wow factor. Oh, that's such an amazing gift. You can heal someone that's sick. That's amazing. No, it's not about the supernatural wow factor. It's in its ability to build up the body of Christ. That's why Apostle Paul says, that's why he mentions apostles, prophets, and teachers first, because that's roughly the order in which the church is built. The apostles are the ones that are commissioned by Christ directly at the beginning of the church, to be, go as missionaries and to plant churches. They're visionaries. They go to places where there is no church. They train leaders. They're leaders of leaders, and they train them up. So apostles come first. And helping, the second, prophets. We need prophetic gifting in the church, and there are people here in, in, in this room that have prophetic gifting, as well as people who had apostolic gifting to train, to lead leaders. The prophets have a keen sense, prophetically, they know God reveals to them the, the need, the particular need of the church at the time. What is needed in this place right now? 
what is the need in this, this neighborhood, in this society right now? They're able to prophetically discern that and to convict sin and to guide the church in the direction it needs to go. We need the prophets to build up the church. Third, the teachers. I thank God we have gifted teachers in this church. I thank God for Pastor Paul and for Jeff and for the two elders that we're going to have and Phil who preaches and the other people that have taught in this place. We need the teachers to teach us what it does not mean to follow God. What does it mean to be a body of Christ? That's why those three, Apostle Paul ranks his first, second, and third, because not because of position, but because of their role in building up the church. So then if you have a gift, you ask yourself, how can I use that to build up the church? What kind of gift do I have to build up the church? A gift that does not build up the church is not gift. A gift that does not build up the church is useless. And that's why Apostle Paul, when he lists the rest of the gifts, he says, and by the way, the rest of them are not in any order, particular order, because in another part in 1 Corinthians, he reverses the order of these, the rest of these gifts, which is miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. The tongues lasted last because the Corinthians were dividing over that issue as well. They were saying, I speak in tongues and you don't. I think I have some favor from God that you don't have. And I will speak in tongues as much as I can at church to just to show you and remind you that that's the case. What's the purpose of the gifts? To build up the church. If it doesn't serve to build up the church, it serves no purpose in the church. Do it on your own at home. That's what Apostle Paul tells them. Enjoy it, but don't bring it to the church to divide the church because the purpose of the gifts in the church is to build up the church. And what about the other gifts? It's not just the supernatural gifts. What about the gift of miracles, gift of healing? Those are supernatural. Gift of helping. There's people in here, I know this, in this church, in this room right now that are gifted in helping people, helping those that are weak. They can see things in people that we can't see. They can see when people are suffering. They can see how people are in turmoil in their minds and they can walk alongside them and speak truth into their lives and encourage them. We need encouragers in the church. We need these people who are able to help. We need helpers. They're indispensable. Administrators. We know, you guys know that our church is in need of a full-time and administrative assistant. There are people, I believe, here who can serve in that way who are able to guide. This term that is used here, it refers to directing a ship. It's like piloting a ship. And, and it's someone that is able to guide the church and direct it so that we don't go astray. It's someone that is able to lead in an administrative function to keep the church together on track. We need that. And this, this is not an exclusive list. If your gift is not in here, Apostle Paul is not trying to be exclusive. What is your gift? Your gift is meant to be used for the church, to build up the church. And that's why Apostle Paul says, do all interpret, do all speak in tongues, do all work miracles? Of course, the answer is no, because no gift is common to everyone. Because by design, we are an interdependent body, not a collection of independent limbs. It's by God's design that we are dependent on one another. So we need each other. So no one's going to have all the gifts but what can everyone have? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So the higher gifts are the ones that build up the church. And he says, he concludes by saying, I will show you the most excellent way. This, I will show you a still more excellent way. What is that excellent way? I'm sure you guys all know. Love. And love is not a spiritual gift. 
It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it can be in everyone. And the love in the church is what makes all these gifts able to function together like a well-oiled machine. Love is what allows us to stay together when it hurts. How can we do this? Because if you're like me, when you first read it, it's a little discouraging. Because this is not the picture of the body of Christ that we see here. Make no mistake, I do want to encourage and commend the way in which this church functions so well as a body together. I've seen it better in most churches that I've been to. But there's room for improvement, isn't there? Do you recognize and know and care for every member of this body that's here as you look around this church? We're selfish. We have our own interests in mind. How can we possibly be this kind of body? It's so idealistic. How can we possibly do that? And the key is in the fact that we are a body of Christ, as Apostle Paul says in verse 27, not a body of Christians. We're not a body of individual believers. We're not a body of Christians. We're the body of Christ. If I showed you guys a picture of people, famous people, celebrities, let's say, with just their bodies, with their head cut off, would you guys know who it is? Of course not. You need the head. The head is what identifies the body. And our identifying head is Christ. We are not the face of this church. We are not the face of this church for the other people. We are the face of this church is Christ. We do what Christ wants. We do what Christ wills. We follow Christ. And that's when, that's when we do this, that's when we attain unity. That's when we become a body and function as a unit. Then if you could play that clip for me that I have. We're functioning together as a body. (laughs) Listen carefully from the beginning. What is that sound? Orchestra tuning, right? Have you guys been to a live show where you see them tuning in the beginning? It's really cool because did you guys hear the soul, the lonely oboe sound in the beginning? The oboe plays by itself in the beginning when it tunes. And why do you tune to an oboe? Any of you, any of you know? Any of you in orchestra? It's the hardest tune. You can't tune it actually. It does, it stays in factory tuning. You can't tune it like the other instruments. It doesn't go out of tune. That's why they tune with an oboe. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His desires hasn't changed since infinity past and infinity future. We tune to him. You don't tune, we don't tune to each other. What do you want? Okay, oh, this is what I want in the church. No, you tune to Christ. When you tune to Christ, you tell yourself, all I want is to see Christ glorified. All I want to see is Christ exalted. All I want to see is Christ pleased by what things that we do in this church. Then we become one body because we are tuned to Christ. When you want that to see that more than anything else, more than your selfish interest, you want to see Christ's interest seen in this church and play it out in this church. then we will be one. Then you wouldn't care if you're treated like dirt. 
as long as Christ is honored. Because Christ's honor is yours. And when the body is honored, you are honored. So let's remember together. It's my dream, and I would love to see this in this church, to live as though we are an interdependent body, not a collection of independent limbs. Let's pray together. Dear God, we want to honor you. That is our foremost desire. We pray, God, if there's people here for whom that is not their highest supreme pursuit, we ask that you work in our hearts right now, work in their hearts. That they will want to see what you want to see in this church, that they will want to do what you want to do in this church, that they would desire to see you exalted above all things. As Eddie shared earlier, no matter what things are happening in the church, no matter what turmoil, no matter what trouble, we're with Christ, it's all going to be okay. We believe that, Lord. We want to be with you. We want to be with you through the troubles. We know troubles will come because Satan doesn't want us to grow into this body. Satan doesn't want us to make an impact in Haverhill. Satan doesn't want us to, to plant churches. He will do everything he, ha- he can to divide us, but he can't divide us because we are united by your blood, Lord Jesus. And your blood flows deeper than any other bond that we can have. We pray, Lord God, that we'll hold on to that truth, that we'll love each other, that we would honor each other. And won't you be glorified in this church, Lord? Won't you be honored? Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the privilege of this one body reality. Now help us to live into it, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.